So we are continuing to make our way through through 1 Peter. Our sermon this morning is, is titled, Called to Love. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 uh, to chapter 2, verse 3. But before we, we work through that, let's look back on, on what we have seen so far. Peter started the book by encouraging us to remember all that God has done for us. That he loves us that he has chosen us, that he has saved us, and that he is at work in us, forming us to be more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. That we as Christians can rest in the faith that God has given us. Once he reminded us of God's work on our behalf, he then rooted our hope in that work. He told us to base our hope, to set it fully on the grace of God, for God's grace will not falter. He will sustain us. Peter tells us, encourages us in the truth that God is not a poor workman and our salvation will not fall apart because of any failing on his part. Our hope is secure. And as we move into our text today, Peter continues to build the foundation that the rest of the letter will be set upon, will be based on. Peter started with faith and then then he moved to hope and he finishes the foundation of the letter written to the scattered and hurting church, written to us. He finishes the foundation of this letter speaking to his audience about love. Now, this foundation is critical. It's it's incredibly crucial that we grasp it because there will be some hard texts that we will hit in the coming weeks as we continue to move through this book. And we will continue to look back at this foundation for answers to some very difficult questions. And some of those questions start today. So with that... Let us read our text this morning where we pick up in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 to chapter 2, verse 3. We read the word of the Lord. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory Like the flowers of grass, the grass withers and the flower fails, falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee to the depth and breadth and height. My soul can reach when feeling out of sight. For the ends of being an ideal grace. I love thee to the level of every day's most quiet need by sun and candlelight. I love thee freely as men strive for right. I love thee purely as they turn from praise. I love thee with the passion put to use in my old griefs and with my childhood's faith. I love thee with a love I seemed to lose with my lost saints. I love thee with the breath, smiles, tears of all my life. And if God choose, 
I shall but love thee better after death. That poem is titled, How I Love Thee, and was written in the mid-1800s by Elizabeth Barrett Browning, and is one of the most famous short love poems in existence. Expressing love can be an incredibly difficult thing to do. Not all of us have the gift of putting words to paper that Miss Browning and other famous poets and writers like Shakespeare and E.E. Cummings were known for, but we also know that words aren't the only way to express love. Gary Chapman has authored an incredibly popular book titled The Five Love Languages that has been used to strengthen marriages and relationships for years now. And according to Chapman, there are five ways that people desire to be shown love and that it's important to know how the recipient of your affection wants to be shown affection. That you may feel love through spending quality time together. The person you are trying to show affection to may feel love through receiving gifts or acts of service or physical touch. Knowing how a person desires to be loved plays a huge part in loving someone well. Some of my children just need a hug, need that physical touch, and they are ready to jump back into the fray of life. Some of them need to hear me express to them that I love them. They need to hear the words. Some of them feel loved when I spend extra time with them, carve out special time just for them. And at this point, and with their current maturity levels, I would argue that each of them feels loved when they receive a gift from mom and dad. Maybe that's a cookie. Maybe it's some Legos, and maybe it's an extra measure of grace. Knowing how to love my kids and my spouse is half the battle of expressing love. Now, sometimes people want love expressed to them in in unhealthy ways, right? When loving someone transforms in the need to accept and approve of everything they do, lifestyle choices, bad habits, addictions, sin, that can quickly become an abuse of love. You can love someone and not agree with their behavior. I, I do it all the time. I do not approve of when my children hit each other. And as a Seattle Mariners fan, I do not approve of my children cheering for the Yankees. But should they choose to make either of these disappointing life choices, I will still love them. I just may have to take a moment to dish out some tough love. When my kids are hitting each other, I need to love them in ways that they don't like it. By disciplining them, by curbing curbing their behavior. Love is sometimes expressed by saying no. And yet tough love can be abused as well. Tough love stops being love when it is used in a way that people feel they now need to earn back love. If I was disciplining my children and they felt that in order to get back into my good graces that they needed to obey, then I failed in loving them. Or at least I failed in expressing my love for them properly. I love my kids whether they listen to me or not. I will not fall out of love with them, and they will never have to earn my love back. Trust? Sure. But love? Love is not given. Or sorry, love is given, not earned. And maybe that's one of the hardest things about love, that that we are asked to give it without qualification. We read in Matthew 22, verses 37 to 39, Jesus speaking, and he said to him, so this is again, this is the words of Jesus, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor 
as yourself. And we know from other scriptures, like the parable of the Good Samaritan, that our our neighbor isn't always who we think it is, who we want it to be. Just like in real life, we don't always get to choose our neighbors. Sometimes we get stuck with the guy who likes to have karaoke parties until the wee hours of the night, or has that dog that won't stop barking, or has a fundamentally different and opposing belief structure to ours. We see this in our neighbors who physically live on either side of us, and we see this in the neighbors that God has, has brought into our lives. We don't always like them. We don't always get along. We aren't always overly thankful for them. Tough. That is the neighbor that God has brought into your life. Love them, says the Lord. We see this command to love expressed even more intimately in John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35 where Jesus makes it clear that the overflow of God's love for us, which results in the love for our neighbor, is the mark of a Christian. As we read, A new commandment I give to you, again, this is Jesus speaking, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I don't know about you, But that one hits me right in the teeth. In his book, The Mark of a Christian, Francis Schaeffer argued that a sincere love, a love without hypocrisy, a love that is genuine and not two-faced should characterize all Christians. David R. Heim, in his commentary on 1 Peter, remarks that Peter is saying in our text this morning that the mark of a Christian is love. So how are we doing with that? How are we doing with loving that neighbor that that drives you crazy? Would an outside observer know that you are a Christian by the way that you treat those around you, including those that you don't like or agree with? Our world today is screaming out for love. I know there have been many times in history where the voices were just as loud and, and even louder, but I can't think of a time in my lifetime where I have seen and heard people crying out to be loved like we do today. They are literally filling the streets. Filling the streets and calling out for love in their own way. Our lives matter, they tell us, through hoarse voices and cardboard signs. And while I recognize that elements of the movement have been radicalized, I do not believe that an extremist fringe should stop us from hearing, should stop us from joining in the proclamation that black lives matter. In this cry, in this calling, we are being told how we can love our black neighbor. That they long to be loved and that they aren't feeling loved right now. And I know it can be tempting to focus on our frustration with some of the way that this cry for love has been expressed. We look at the looting and the rioting and say, hey, this this isn't okay. And in our frustration, we decide to show the tough love of not showing love, of not joining in the cry, of not picking up the song. And we feel justified in this. Because though though there is reason to be upset, and the the death of, of George Floyd was tragic and horrific, the extreme response, the looting and, and the rioting, it was so unacceptable, it is so unacceptable, that we feel like, like we can't support those who are calling for our love right now. We feel like showing love to our neighbor could be condoning their actions, and so we sit in silence. And as I think of how comfortable silence can be, 
I'm reminded of the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German Christian pastor and theologian during World War II, who said, silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act. No silence is not an option. For saying nothing is saying something. We are called to affirm, to proclaim the truths of Scripture, not just confess them silently to ourselves. So let us do that boldly. Let us love our neighbor by affirming the truth, the scriptural truth that, yes, your lives do matter. For as we said earlier, we know that loving someone does not mean condoning or approving their actions. And by the same token, it doesn't mean that actions justify, make it okay, give us good reason to withhold love. We see this most clearly in the love that our Lord God has for each of us. God is certainly not saying that our sins are okay, that they are acceptable to him when he proclaims, when he confesses his love for us. And we know with certainty, for scripture is very clear, that there is nothing we have done or can do to earn his love. It was given to us freely. It is given to us freely. Not as approval of our sin and not because we are deserving but because of the mercy and the grace of the one who is giving it. And again, the words of our Savior speak to us from the scriptures, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. We are called to love. And so church friends, how are we doing with that? Are we loving well? Are we raising our voices alongside our brothers and sisters in their cry for love? Are we reaching out when we know a friend, a next-door neighbor, an acquaintance is having a hard time? Are we meeting known needs? Are we putting others first? Are we sharing the good news of Jesus Christ? Let us proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And as our mouths confess the good news to our neighbor... Let it also be caught by our own ears. Oh, how I need to hear, how we need to hear the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done for me, for us, again and again. The good news that tells us, though we did not deserve it, and even though we couldn't get our acts together, no, in fact, while we were still sinners, imperfect, infallible, and prone to hurt ourselves and others, Christ died for us. He paid the price of our sin. He reconciled us to God by doing what we could not, by being perfect. And then he took that perfect perfection and did the unthinkable. He traded his perfection for our sinfulness and became sin in our place, giving us his perfection, clothing us in his good works and his righteousness. For the Bible tells us that when we believe when we have faith in Christ, we have, we have put on Christ. And so when God sees us, he does not see our sinfulness, but instead he sees the perfection of his son. He sees Jesus. And if we fear that this gift will fade or pass us by, or that it might be a one-time offer or, or something that won't last, but will just be another broken promise, listen to what Peter has to say about it. 
Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, since you have become a Christian, since you have had faith given to you, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. This gift of faith and love does not decay. It does not rot. It will not be broken. Though we can walk away from it, God will not yank it away from us. Peter then goes on to quote the prophet Isaiah, who spoke about how all flesh, all creation is like grass, like the flowers. And that it looks nice for a time, but, but then it fades. And the flower droops and, and loses its petals, loses its beauty, loses its glory. All creation comes and, and then it goes. All created things will die, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And then Peter tells us that this word that remains forever is the word of good news, the promise that we have in Jesus Christ. The word that stands forever is that Christ has taken all of your sin and given you all of his righteousness. So rest in his love, rest in his provision, rest in your faith, rest in this gift for you. And as we rest in his love, as we rest in him, Peter encourages us to put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. He encourages us to put away all of these things that stand in the way of our ability to love as we have been called to love. And even in the way that Peter words that, right? In, in his telling us to, to put it away, he is acknowledging that these are things that it is still possible for us to fall into. We aren't perfect. We will stumble and we will fall and we will fail. Are you struggling with loving your neighbor? Are you struggling with loving those you don't understand? Are you struggling with loving those who stand against things that you support? Yes, we are called to love our neighbor, and yes, we will struggle to love our neighbor well. But as you go through this struggle, know that there is grace for the journey. Maybe your struggle is believing that God loves you. Maybe you don't see how God could love someone as broken and messed up as you are. Maybe you can't understand how he could forgive all that you have done. I started my message today with a love poem by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. But the Bible, the Word of God, is God's love poem to us. In it, we see God expressing His love for us over and, and over again, telling us over and over how much He cares for us, how much He loves us, and all that He has done for us. And we need to be reminded we need a reminder that all we, all we need to do is open its pages and read the story of Jesus. Read the story of a God who loves us so much he sent his son to die on our behalf so that he could have a relationship with us. And as we rest in this true story of unbelievable grace, love, and mercy, let us remember that we did not earn his love and that his love and grace will never, de never decay God will never fall out of love with you. And know that the love that God is calling us to is the love that he has showered over us. 
God's love for you is patient and it is kind. His love for you will endure all things. Rest in His love for you. Rest in His grace for you. Rest in the truth that you have not earned it. Rest in the reality that you do not deserve it. And so rejoice and praise His name and give Him glory. And may the love of God, His grace and mercy overflow from out of your life and into the lives of others, into the lives of your neighbors, into the lives of those you don't agree with, and into the lives of those you don't understand. God wants to use you to show His love for your neighbor. God's love is the beating heart of His mission. What a wonderful gift we have been given. What a wonderful mission we have been called to. So knowing that we will fail, knowing that we won't do it perfectly, and knowing that there is grace in those times, and resting in the faith that we have been given, and the hope that we know is secure in Jesus Christ, Let us go out and fiercely love our neighbor. For as it is written, now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. What a fantastic, amazing, gracious, merciful, and loving God we serve. Amen.